sent your spirit to live in us, God, so that we can learn to be with you in our coming and in our going. Holy Spirit, thank you for the things that you have spoken over our lives as we've worshiped you in this place, as we've ministered to one another. And I pray that you would continue to speak over our lives today through your word. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what it is that you're saying to this church and to what you're saying to your church here on this earth. God, help us to be representatives of you everywhere that we go. God, that your kingdom can come and that your will can be done here on this earth as your glory rises upon your church. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Thank you for entering in uh, with us this morning and uh, just kind of pressing in. I am a firm believer that God wants to to flow through our lives, that he wants to minister to other people around us just like we just did, and he wants to do it out there. Like he wants to do it while you're at work. He wants when you're having lunch with your friend to, to be able to speak to you and just say, hey, I want you to say this to them right now, or I want you to ask them this question. And we need to learn to hear his voice and respond to him. And so we give us opportunity to do that here. And I'm going to just tell you this now. If you're not comfortable doing it in here, it's not going to be any different out there. I mean, there could be an anomaly that someone maybe will do it out there and and not do it in here. And people say all the time, you know, I love Jesus. It's just the church I don't like. It's church people I don't like. Well, I don't know that you know Jesus because Jesus is connected to his church. It's his body. And so it's not like an either or type of thing. So if you can't minister to his body, you're not going to minister to the lost. And so we want to give you the opportunity to do that. And you don't have to do it perfect. Um, In fact, I'll just tell you, you're not going to do it perfect. Sometimes you're going to do it wrong. Sometimes you're going to do it and miss it, but you won't know until you try it. So thanks for those of you that uh, stepped out and encouragement to you that didn't maybe uh, respond today. I want to encourage you to do it in the future. And so we're going to be continuing in our series that we started um, a while ago. This is actually part six today in Thriving in Babylon. And um, I'm using a handheld mic so that if I have to cough, I can move it away and not like break your eardrums with coughing. And so that's the plan. And today I just can't get excited. So maybe you need to get excited for me. So if if it sounds like I'm not excited, just know that I'm really doing a great job of keeping my voice in this nice, calming thing. And the bad thing about it is um, it could put you to sleep because it's soothing right now, and it's deep. In fact, um, I actually love to sing when I have a cold because I can sing so low. And uh, one thing I've never been able to do in my life is sing low. And uh, so there's always something good in everything. Amen. And so... So crazy. But um, we've talked through this thriving in Babylon, and I'm going to teach a lot of things today. And um, I'm only going to put a few scriptures on the the screen, and we're not going to take time to read through some of the passages, but I'll put them up so you can see where they are if you want to look into them later. Um, But I'm going to rely heavily on some of the stuff that we've talked about in earlier sessions, in earlier um, messages, and things that have been written in the books that we're studying uh, along with this series, Thriving in Babylon and the Daniel Dilemma. And so if you haven't been here or you're not reading those books, 
and something I says doesn't jive with you or you don't understand it, um, feel free to ask for clarification. You can call me, text me, write me, email me, Snapchat me, um, Twitter me. I don't really use Twitter too much, but you can just about any way you want to contact. But if you call the church, by the way, if you didn't get the message, something's wrong with our phones. So you have to call 4898 instead of 4896. So for those of you that have called this week and no one answered, that'd be why. Um, 4898 is the, the number. I should have put that in the program, but I forgot. So there you go. So we've talked about knowing God and knowing God more. That was part one and part two. Um, it, you know, God is immeasurably greater than anything we can even ask or imagine in our heads. So you are never going to get to the place where you know everything about God or know God completely. Okay. Never going to happen, at least on this side of eternity. I don't know what eternity holds, but we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 13 that now we see in part, but then we're going to see face to face. We're going to be fully known, but it doesn't say that we're going to know him fully, but uh, I don't know that it's possible to ever know God fully. So that was why we took two weeks to really talk on what it is to know God. Part three was knowing our identity, knowing who we are in Christ. Part four, Pastor Mark talked to us about knowing how to pray. I uh, figured if there was anyone that could teach us how to pray, he would be the guy. And uh, he left us hanging because he didn't give us point three. But uh, we'll have to have him back again to give us point three and to teach us more on prayer. Um, prayer is one of those things, too, that you just never get it all. I mean, you just always are growing in that. And uh, last week, we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to talk about knowing God's agenda, knowing his agenda. And in fact, if you want to grab your pew Bible, or if you want to grab your Bible, and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to pick up there where we left off last week. It's on page 965, if you're using the, the Bible there in front of you. So if you want to turn to that, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in essence, last week, we, know, we learned that God's agenda is to reconcile people to himself. That word reconcile means to bring together, okay? So we were separated from God because of our sins, all of us, but he brought us back into relationship with himself, and it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, and we were reconciled or brought back to God so that we can lead others to be reconciled. So his agenda is reconciliation, and knowing our assignment is what we're going to talk about today, is to reconcile others to him. And we're going to take the long way around this mountain and hopefully land the plane um, on our, what our assignment is. But we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 14. This one's not on the screen, so we're just going to read it together from the scripture there. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, either way, Christ's love controls us. Now, I don't want you to think of that word control. I don't like that word control because um, most other translations use compel or strongly urges us. The Holy Spirit does not control us. Demonic spirits control. They manipulate, but God never controls other people. He always wants us to choose him, okay? But when he puts his love in our hearts, it's not like it takes over our lives and just now we can't help ourselves, no, we can help ourselves. We can either let his love compel us or we can just hold his love in. And if you hold it in, it actually becomes death to us, which is what scripture talks about, but letting his love compel us. Okay, going on. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all 
died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Kate, stop. The moment you believe in what Christ did for you, okay, the moment you say, Jesus, I've sinned, I'm separated from God, I'm going to trust that you died in my place, and I'm going to put faith in what you did. I'm going to put confidence in what you did. You become a new person, period. It's total. So from God's perspective, you're a new person. Now, from human perspective, you're not. Can I get an amen? Okay? Because you still have that anger problem. You still have that easily offended problem. You still have that sin that you've been trying to tackle in your life. And so you're like, I don't get it. The Bible says all things are new. The Bible says that I've become a new person, and yet I look like the same old me. Okay? And we talked about justification, meaning it's just as if I've never sinned. I'm right with God. I'm a new person. But sanctification is the process by where that works out of our lives. And the problem that we get into many times in the church is we create these lists of what God is looking for. He's looking for this, and he's looking for this, and he's looking for this, and he's looking for this. No, he's looking for us to be in right relationship with him and then to start to take on his nature. And here's the thing. Your list is different than my list because you're going to struggle with things, and I'm going to look at you from a human perspective, a human point of view, and be like, I don't know how they can call themselves a Christian and struggle with that. But you're going to do the same thing to me. You're going to look at me from a human point of view, and you're going to say, I don't understand how he can call himself a Christian, a pastor, and he struggles with something like that. I mean, wow, that's what it means to look at people from a human point of view. You can look at them from that view and declare, well, they're in the kingdom, they're out of the kingdom. They're in the kingdom, they're out of the kingdom. And we've never been taught to do that. Okay? Now, have we been taught to say if there's fruit in someone's life, I'm getting ahead of myself, I need to maybe stop. If there's fruit in someone's life, that proves God is at work in their life. It doesn't say all fruit that's ever going to be produced in their life. It just says there's some fruit. And so we come alongside them and maybe we point out areas that need to be pruned by the Holy Spirit. That's why we walk in relationship with one another because Again, your list is different than my list. And so if I just do all of this in isolation, you would think the Holy Spirit would be able to teach me everything because the Bible says he can. The problem is, as humans, we're stubborn. All of us. I know that we like to point out people that are more stubborn than us, but that's comparison, and again, that's a human point of view. And so we do life together so that we get a fuller picture of who God is and we work that out in our lives. But even as we work it out in our lives, we are right with God. We're new people. So I hope that makes sense. So the new, we've become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Not what we did. It's not because I'm a good person. It's not because I'm well-behaved. I didn't earn this. It's all a gift from God. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. 
Why is that important? Because when we reconcile people to God, that's how the character of God is shaped in their lives. And what we've been talking about in this series is that sometimes in the church we get that backwards. And we're trying to get people to look and act like God without being first reconciled to God. It's not possible. I mean, yeah, maybe you'll get them to be a more moral or a better version, or you'll, but that's all they're going to be, a better version of their old life. For the new life to begin, they have to come back into relationship with God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, meaning God is no longer counting our sins against us. Sin has been dealt with at the cross. And the only reason now that we are separated from God is not because of sin. It's because of a refusal to put faith in what Christ did. Because sin has been dealt with. Yes, I know that it is our sin that separates us from God, but sin has been dealt with. So it's the cross. It's our rejection of Jesus that actually is the problem. It's not my sin that's the problem anymore. And then God gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, and we are his ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So God's agenda for the world is not to have a moral, well-behaved group of people. There's nothing wrong with living out the moral principles of God's word. In fact, as Christians, we should strive to do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. But that is not what we put first. Yes, God wants us to reflect his nature, but here's the thing. You can be moral and start keeping all of the things on your list and still be selfish. You can read the Bible every day. You can read through the Bible in a year, every year. You can go to church every Sunday. You can lift your hands in worship and still, in essence, be living for yourself. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for God. He wants us to come into relationship with him and through that relationship start representing him on the earth. It's not about behavior modification. It's about the blood of Jesus Christ and learning to accept his work and learning to live with him so that his fruit is being produced in our lives. And all of that is a gift from him. The empowerment to live out this new life is found in being with him. And even as we learn to live it out from God's viewpoint, we are in him. The work has already been done regardless of our performance. And some of us have a hard time with that. We judge ourselves by our performance. Stop it. It's not about your performance. I mean, your performance matters. It doesn't mean, it's not like your performance is superficial or unnecessary. No, it's important because that's how we display the power of God. That's how we display the presence of God. But the problem is, for the most part, the church is really good at living out the sins that the world struggles with, or excuse me, doing away with the sins the world struggles with. And so then we start preaching to the world, you got to turn from this, you got to turn from this, you got to turn from this. All the while, we're just selfish. All the while, churches have people that don't talk to each other. They split over ridiculous things. They argue about stuff that really doesn't matter. And they, they cover it with this superficial religiosity that really exposes the heart being selfish. And that's the danger of, of not coming to God, being reconciled to him, and being reconciled to his body. 
that make sense? Hope it makes sense. So we live out this new life. We understand that there is a deceitfulness of sin that can harden our hearts. The, no, the reason we no longer want to participate in sin is not because it makes us right with God. It's not because it, it helps other people to see him. It's because it's deceitful. And if you think you can l- handle it for a season, you're wrong. Sin will always take you farther than you want to take, than it to take you. And I don't care if that sin is abuse of alcohol and drugs or sexual immorality or unforgiveness and bitterness or slander. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It will deceive you. It will bring you to a place where you go to church every week, where you read the Bible every week, and you're just, you're, you're fooling yourself because you're not fully surrendered to his will. You're not living in a selfless, honoring way. You're just living in a moral checklist, but in a selfish, dishonoring way. And that's the problem that plagues the American church, especially today, is that we're just trying to live a little bit better than we used to, or a little bit better than the world does. But that's not adequate. We need to live totally surrendered lives. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is that if there's a branch that produces absolutely no fruit at all, it gets cut off. Again, the fact that any fruit is being produced is a sign it's connected to the vine. And in the church, we get really good at looking at other people and saying, well, you're not producing the same kind of fruit as me. You're not producing as much fruit as I would expect after this many years. And so we start judging them based upon the amount of fruit instead of coming alongside them, encouraging them, strengthening them. Does that mean that God doesn't want any more fruit in their life? No, because look at the next part. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they'll produce even more. He wants you. His his goal for our lives is to produce much fruit. He says it later in this passage. We're not going to read down through that far. But he he wants us to produce all of this fruit. But he prunes our lives. He disciplines us. He corrects us. He helps us. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Again, it's not our works that save us. It's the message that saves us. Remain in me and I will remain in you because a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, they'll produce fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In one of the weeks, we talked about Brother Lawrence, who was a monk that lived in a monastery, and he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And in it, he defines this idea of witness, witness, okay, W-I-T-H-N-E-S-S. For him, when he was in, when he was scheduled in the monastery to work in the kitchen, and he washed dishes, okay, he wanted that time with the Lord to be as powerful, meaningful, and with him as the times that he was secluded and just praying and worshiping. 
See, some of you go to work and you're angry at people you work with, you're bitter at people you work with, you're frustrated at people you work with, and you wonder, where's God? Well, did you bring him with you? Because if you, it, it's not whether or not we can lift our hands and sing, God, you're so good in a worship service when everything in our life is going good. The test that it's really started to take root in our lives is when we can proclaim that, God, you're good in the midst of everything that's bad. Faith is being certain of what we hope for. Faith is the evidence of what is not seen. So if I have to have everything work out in my life perfectly for me to be able to say, God, you're so good, I don't have faith. It doesn't take faith to have everything work out perfectly and say, God, you're good. It takes faith to be in the midst of people who are not believers and people who are, are, are trying to, to even come against me and say, God, you're so good. That's what Daniel and his friends did. That's the difference. And they did it in a time when the Holy Spirit didn't live inside of believers. How much more, if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, should this be possible? And I, I, how do you practice withness? The problem is you, you practice it by praying. You practice it by reading the Bible. You practice it by going to church. You practice it by being with other believers. Yeah, that's how you practice it. But just doing those things doesn't guarantee connection. You practice it by keeping your mind engaged on God everywhere you go. So whether you are getting up early with your coffee and your Bible, or whether you're at work and all hell is broken loose, you're practicing his presence because he's with you. And being with you doesn't mean it's all going to work out perfectly. See, some of us don't understand. We go to work and we're like, well, I tried that. I tried to practice the presence and nothing worked out like it did for Daniel. No, 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 no. You, you misunderstand it. See, you're still living for yourself. I'll serve you, God, as long as everything works out perfectly is literally what we're saying. And God is saying, no, either you'll, you'll trust me whether it looks like it's working out perfectly or not. It's easy for us to look back on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming out of the furnace and say, well, you know, God delivered them. But they went into the furnace saying, even if he does not, we will still serve him. And so if you have to have everything work out perfectly on this side of eternity for you to declare that God is so good, I don't know what to tell you because that's not possible. I mean, I know that sounds so bad because we, we, we preach about restoration and, and God restoring all things, and I still believe that and I still ask for that, but even if he does not, I'm not going to turn back. God's agenda is reconciliation. The Chris Hodges in the book gives this quote. I love this. It's one of my favorite quotes from the book, The Daniel Dilemma. God is more concerned with our character than our comfort because sometimes believers get confused and we assume that coming to Christ and believing in restoration and believing in reconciliation means that everything in life is going to be worry-free, pain-free, and difficulty-free. The reason that the song, God, You're So Good, that we sang today ends with the verse, even if life brings suffering, still I will remember what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. That's the most powerful part of that song. 
Because even in the face of everything that says one thing, I'm going to declare what God has said because God's good plans are eternal. You and I have gotten confused because we take Romans chapter 8, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and who have called according to his purpose as God's going to make everything in your life perfect sometime. Well, he will, but it may not be on this side of eternity. Because some of the things in your life that aren't perfect are a result of our character flaws that need to be worked out so that we can step into eternity, so that we can bring others into eternity, so that we can help God accomplish what God needs to accomplish. I mean, we've heard about missionaries that have given their lives on the mission field. I just read about, um, his name escapes me, the guy that was in prison all those years in Turkey. Pastor Andrew Brunson, thank you. Andrew Brunson, who's in Turkey wrestling. I mean, he was a spoiled brat in prison. He was like, God, he would go days without praying. He would, couldn't understand why God wasn't delivering him. And at the end of his prison stay, he got to the place where he said, God, you are, look, you put Turkey on the map. People all over the world are praying for Turkey because I'm in prison. And if you need me to stay in prison for God's glory to come in Turkey, I'm ready. And even in the midst of it, he says, I'm ready to drink the cup of suffering all the way to the dregs. I'm going to need your help with it. That's literally what he says. I can't promise that I can do it in my own strength. I've failed miserably these last few years. But I'm ready to surrender everything to you. And that's the place God is trying to bring us to in our lives. It does not mean that God brings sickness into our lives. It does not mean that God brings bad things into our lives. Bad things come into our lives as a result of the fallen world around us, but God promises to use anything that comes into our lives for the total good, the plural good of his kingdom coming and his glory being revealed on the earth. And if you and I can't lift our voices and say, God, if that means death for me, if that means a life of suffering for me, if that means persecution for me, I'm in. Then we have yet to understand the gospel. Because if we come to the gospel, but we're still living for ourselves, that's what this, the American church is all about right now. We want to have our rights. We want to have our privileges. How dare you try to take our tax-exempt status? How dare you try to do this? How, we have rights. Okay. Let's see how that works out. It's not working so far. And stop claiming that it's because we're wrestling with flesh and blood. We haven't even started wrestling with flesh and blood or with principalities yet because we're, we're, we're not seeking God. We're not asking God to, to rain down on our lives. We're not repenting of the sin that's in our own lives. We're just looking out there and seeing what we see. We're missing our assignment. This is all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And these are some of the passages that I don't know if I'm going to have time to read all of them. But Daniel and his friends would have known these passages, okay? In Exodus chapter 19, when God brings the people of Israel before, Moses, before the mountain, Moses climbs up the mountain to appear before God, and the Lord calls to him from the mountain and says, give these instructions to the family of Jacob, announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now... If you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be 
my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. You will be my kingdom of priests, my set-apart, my holy nation, set-apart is all that means. This is the message you must give the people of Israel. God's design for Israel was to be a people that displayed who God was so that all the nations around them would be drawn to God. They never did that. They never fulfilled it. Why? Because it's impossible in our own strength. God knew that. But he's, he's writing a drama that he's letting unfold. And through the old, and you're like, well, is, it just, is God just toying with us? No. He's making sure we realize the futility of trying to do it in our own strength. The reason that the Old Testament goes on for so long is because God wants to make sure we realize we have to come to the end of ourselves and recognize there's no hope for us other than the cross. What a brilliant story. Way better than any Star Wars movie. Um, in my opinion, anyway. And that's what God has done. So when God exiles his people to Babylon, when Daniel's in Babylon, Daniel understands we're not just here because God's some mean God that's just punishing us or he's vindictive. No, 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 no. He, he's there to discipline them. He's there to get out of them what needs to get out of them. But his design was always to bring them back and restore them. In Jeremiah chapter 29, this is what Daniel reads in Daniel chapter 6 when he starts, or Daniel chapter 9, excuse me, when he starts to pray. He understands Jeremiah chapter 29 and he begins to pray. And the Lord is basically saying to them here, build homes, stay and plant, plant gardens, eat the food that the Babylonians produce, marry, have children, get spouses, have grandchildren, multiply, do not dwindle away. Why? Because he's like, you're going to be there for 70 years. Don't just wait until you come out of captivity, because if you do, you're going to dwindle. You're, you're going to vanish from the earth, and I have plans for you, but it requires that you settle down where you are and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you. Some of us are like, we're not going to work for the peace and prosperity of our wicked nation. That's not going to go well for you. God understands. No, look, we don't buy into the same entertainment they do. We don't buy into the same values they do. We don't buy into the same things they live for. We're not living for this life. We're living for the life to come. But at the same time, our welfare is tied to its welfare. And God says, don't listen to these false prophets that are telling you, hey, it's going to be quick. God's going to bring us out of captivity quick. You just don't worry about it. You just separate yourself from the world and you just live in a bunker somewhere and God's going to come and get us. No, 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 no. That's not his plan because his plan is to reconcile the people that you live among. I hope this is making sense. So then the good part, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Now, Daniel and his friends are among the, the elite, if you will. Not everyone in Babylon is experiencing the good things of Babylon. Some of them are suffering. And yet God says, I have plans for you. I have a hope for you. I have a future for you. And in those days when you pray, I'll listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you again, bring you home again to your own land. 
And so Daniel and his friends live out their assignment. Their assignment was not to live for themselves, but to live for the glory of God. Their assignment wasn't to seek promotion. Daniel never sought promotion. He never ran for office. He never tried to get the king to notice him. He was never like, hey, pick me, pick me, pick me. He just lived out his faith, and as a result of it, God gave him 10 times more wisdom than anyone else. So the king called on Daniel and recognized his answers were 10 times better than anyone's answers. So he said, bring that guy close. God promoted him when Daniel lived out his assignment. And some of us think we got to, uh, hey, I got to help God out. I got to promote myself. I got to, you know, get, I got to, you know, I got to, you know, I got to do it. I got to help myself out. And we don't live out our assignment. We're just living for the same thing the world's living for. A better 401k. We're looking for a good retirement. We're looking for a nice house. We're looking for a peaceful existence. And we're not living for the agenda of God. We're just living morally for ourselves. And God wants to expose that in our nation. It's, if you, you, you want to live for yourself, God will let you live for yourself. And you'll have some fruit in your life. And you'll have some things that you can point to and say, look, God's at work in my life. Great. But are you living for yourself or are you living for him? Do you make decisions on what's best for you or what's best for him? I mean, some people say, well, you know, pastor, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe the Bible talks about tithing, but if you looked at my finances, you, you would see, I don't know how that can happen. Okay. So what's best for me is to not do it right now. What's best for me is to, you know, live with my boyfriend or girlfriend and not get married. That's best for me. Then you're still living for yourself. You're not really living for him. And, you know, I I, I hate to give you examples because then it's a list. And for every one of us, I can guarantee this. Every one of us in this room, if you ask God, where am I living for myself and not for your glory? He'll show you one area. Guarantee it, myself included, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And I guarantee you, every one of us has an area where we need to be disciplined. I want to go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Because what Paul calls this in the New Testament is the crucified life. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, I can't claim that Daniel's situation is exactly the same as ours. I can't claim that, you know, living in a freedom or democracy, that we should never access our rights, that we should never apply for a promotion. I'm not saying that, okay? I can't say that because even Paul himself used his rights as a Roman citizen to avoid a punishment. I mean, he was going to get beaten and he appealed to Caesar. So I can't say that God never says, fill out the application and be promoted. But I can tell you that his will is not always for the promotion in worldly eyes. And sometimes he wants us to take a step down so that he can lift us up. And that's why we have to crucify our desires and make sure we're learning to hear him, to respond to him, especially when it goes against what we feel. This is such a feeling culture. 
well, you know, I, I just don't feel God's presence when I come to that church. Well, maybe it's the bad attitude you had all week long talking about the people in that church that gave you the bad attitude when you walked into it. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Where you set your affections is where your heart is going to go. You don't understand my job. My job is so miserable. Well, that's because all you do is put it down. And if you keep feeding that emotion, that's where you're going to go. But we have to crucify ourselves daily, meaning I don't do what I want to do. I do what he's called me to do. And I've got to walk in step with his spirit that put in me. And it's a process. Some days I get it right. Some days I get it wrong. Sometimes I take the wrong choice. But he promises if we keep our hearts in a humble posture before him and we're trying to live for him, that he will guide us. He'll even help us out of the bad situations that we made if we humble ourselves and admit we're the reason we're in that. Not, well, my spouse, we're my this person or that person. It's I made that choice. Being led by the Spirit. Jesus tried to teach this to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having an interesting conversation with his disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? I don't want you to read ahead, so I'm going to go back. Who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some people say that you're the, like Elijah. And some people say you're John the Baptist, raised from the dead. And some people say you're a prophet, you're a teacher. And then he asks them an important question. Who do you say I am? And then silence falls over the crowd. And finally, Peter's like, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, exactly. And that was not revealed to you by a human being. That was revealed to you by my father. And he's like, blessed are you, Peter. Simon, you're going to be the rock, and I'm going to build my church upon the declaration that you've just made. Good for you, Peter. And then Jesus begins, from then on, <laughs> Jesus begins to tell his disciples plainly it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, and he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and leading priests and teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Peter, put two and two together. You just declared he was the Christ, the son of the living God, and now you're like thinking, you know, well, I got another word from the Lord. Don't talk about that stuff like that. I mean, God is not the God of step backs. God is not the God of decrease. God is not the God of death. You know, that's the thing religious people say when you feel like God's telling you to take a step back or when you feel like God's telling you that something that human logically is like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not who God is. God is all about blessing and increase. Yeah? And he's all about your character in the process. And so Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view. Not a demonic point of view, a human point of view. You think that I have to be an earthly king because that's what the disciples expected. Jesus is going to be an earthly king, and now he's starting to talk about things that it's going to make our life harder. What are you talking about? You're not going to die. We're going to take over the world. And so he rebukes the Son of God. Two signs two signs that we're living an uncrucified life, okay? Here they are, two signs that you're living an uncrucified life. 
our response when things don't go our way. Our response when things don't go our way. If we react negatively, it's a sign of an uncrucified life. And the second sign is how we treat others, especially our enemies. That's the sign of an uncrucified life. And the problem is, when that stuff comes out of our life, we want to blame it on everyone else and not humbly come before God and say, God, you got to get this out of me. Show me where I need to crucify my flesh, my desires. Because it's not that person's fault. This is on me. And I want this out. But from God's point of view, you're already perfect. Even when you're living an uncrucified life in one area. And so we have to be careful when we start justifying the decisions that we're making by our human reason, by our human logic, by how our circumstances are going to line up best for us. Jesus calls that demonic. And yet, it was just a human point of view. So then he goes to the other disciples and he says this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? You make all those choices to benefit you. You get everything you ever wanted, but you lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? Here's the thing. If you live to be 100, and every day of your life on this earth is literally a living hell, and you put that next to eternity... What's that look like? A hundred years versus eternity. And you and I so often live for the moment. And we can't see what he's, God's like, I'm playing this long game. And if you put your faith in me, I'm going to lead you there. David Platt, a few years ago, compared this idea of taking up your cross to the electric chair. Because when the disciples heard, take up your cross, it wasn't like wear a necklace with a cross on it. Um, and an electric chair doesn't do it justice because an electric chair is actually too humane. I mean, some of you might not agree with that, but it's true. Compared to the cross, the electric chair is humane. This is a brutal, humiliating, agonizing death. And Jesus is saying, you want to be my follower? Be prepared to die an excruciatingly, agonizing, painful death. That doesn't mean it will happen for everybody, but you got to be ready for it. And that's why so many of us, when the, the bottom seems to fall out of our life and it exposes that our faith was built on our own desires, we don't know what to do with that. Well, here's what you do with that. You say, God, help me. Give me mercy. I mean, I, I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to live just for what I want. I don't want to make my decisions based on what's best for me. I want to live fully for you. Now, I want to give you two things quick before I close, and I'm still, I think, going to close on time. One, 
for those of you that are sitting here today beating yourselves up because you're like, well, I don't live the crucified life. None of us in this room live the fully crucified life, okay? Remember I already said, if you ask God, he'll expose at least one area. I don't believe any of us have reached the place where we live a full crucified life. So don't compare yourself with other people because, remember, that's just different lists. Don't think, well, I'm, not, I'm better than that person, but oh, I'm not as good as that person. Just fix your eyes on Jesus, walk humbly with him, and let him work those things out in your life. Don't get overwhelmed by condemn, condemnation and shame. Let guilt drive you to the cross, not away from it, okay? That's the first one. The second one is don't just choose suffering as some extreme measure to think that's going to make you right with God. Throughout history, religious people have made great sacrifices, but God says, you know what, if you sell your body or you give up your body to be brutally murdered for the gospel or you sell all your possessions and you give it to the poor, but you don't have love, you got nothing. Okay, so to just think, well, okay, how can I live the hardest life possible? That's not what it's about either. If you just start living for him, don't worry, suffering will find you. Okay, you don't have to go find it. Okay, let it find you. There we have it. All right, I need you to bow your heads with me if you would. I've reached the end. Maybe not the end of my message, but at least the end of my time. And here's the thing. If you're in this room right now and you have never put faith in what Christ has done for you on the cross, this is where it begins. You have to admit you're separated from God because of your sin. You have to believe that Jesus died in your place and you have to make him the Lord of your life saying, I'm not gonna live for myself anymore. I'm gonna live for you. And I wanna do that today. If you're in this room and you've never done that and you need to do that, would you slip up your hand and say, that's me. I wanna make my life right with God today. I'm surrendering everything to him fully and completely for the first time. For the first time, I wanna do that. Is there anyone in this room? You'd be brave enough to say, pray for me because I wanna do it for the first time. Okay. I don't want to preach a message like that and assume that all of us have done that. So my guess is that you're in this room because you've done that and you are trying to live the crucified life. But if you would be honest enough to say today, I know there's an area of my life that needs to be crucified. And pastor, as you close in prayer today, I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to say your your thing that needs to be crucified. You're just raising your hand and saying, God, that's me, and I want to crucify this thing. Anyone else? Hands up all over the place, all over the place. I want to live the crucified life. Anyone else? All right, you can put your hands down. I want to encourage you, those of you that lifted your hands and those of you that did not, I want to encourage you to practice witness this week. Yes, you need to be in the Word. Yes, you need to schedule a time to be in the Bible. Yes, you need to spend time in prayer. Yes, you need to connect to the body of believers. But practicing witness means making sure your heart and your mind are engaged when you read the Word. Making sure your heart and your mind are engaged when you spend time in prayer. Making your heart and mind engaged throughout the day. Before you go into work, God, help me to practice withness today. Holy Spirit, help me. I don't know how to do it. Help me. I don't even know how to do it yet. But that could be our prayer this week. Help us to practice withness. 
So I want to invite you to stand with me all across this room. I'm going to have the prayer team come to the front because in a moment I'm just going to pray over you and I'm going to dismiss you. But the prayer team is going to be here. If you want prayer for something in your life, we're available to you. If you just want to spend some time in prayer, if there's an area of your life that needs to be crucified, don't walk out of this room until you vocalize that to God. Just take 30 seconds, kneel at your seat, sit at your seat, just vocalize what needs to be crucified in your life, and then just leave. And trust God to help you finish that work as you walk out those doors. If you're here and you're like, I can't think of one thing, just sit there for a few minutes and say, Holy Spirit, show me that area of my life that needs to be crucified. Show me the desire, the selfish ways that I just need to crucify today. Any area of my heart. Maybe you want to come to the prayer team and say, hey, pray for me. I'm just struggling in this way. And we love that opportunity to pray with you today. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a sure foundation for us. God, that we don't have to be led to and fro. We don't have to be tossed to and fro. We don't have to just go in circles by our emotions or what feels right or living for our own desires. But God, we can be led by the truth of who you are. We can be led, God, by your agenda and your assignment for our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray speak plainly, not just right now, but all through this week to each of us. Show us those areas that need to be crucified. God, I pray that as words come out of our mouth this week that display an uncrucified life, Holy Spirit, come. Come in that moment and convict our hearts so strongly, God, that we just repent, that we just come before you humbly and ask for your mercy and receive your grace right in that moment. God, help us not to be afraid of your correction. Help us to invite your correction into our lives all this week because we know that you discipline those who you love. We know that it's not, you don't see us based on our performance. You see us on, based on what Christ has done. But we want to learn to yield ourselves now to you in every way. We no longer want to live for ourselves. We want to live totally for you. So Holy Spirit, do that work in us this week, I pray. Capture our hearts in every way. Now, Father, I pray your blessing over this body today. <laughs> God, I ask that you would bless them and I ask that you would keep them. I ask you that you would cause your face to shine upon them, that you would lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. God, that you would be so gracious to them in every way. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, God bless you as you go. The altars are always open if you want some prayer. But uh, just please dismiss quietly from this room and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to stay for just a few more moments.